coming up on the Middle Class VO Podcast. Sounds like you're insane. It sounds like you've done a line of cocaine or something before you started reading. I mean, it was, we could actually hear his teeth chitter, like chattering. And so it was terrible. That's awesome. Just an email away. Corporal and tell us what to say. Explain a video, image and radio. Slang a local car is reading. I'll be always nowhere. Ain't no stars. No, we're the middle class VO podcast. The middle class VO podcast. Welcome to the middle class VO podcast. We are so excited. It's a very special episode today. Kevin Kilpatrick here in Nashville. And Bobby Maxwell in Cincinnati. And we're so excited to have a special guest. Ladies and gentlemen, you know him as a promo producer, a voice acting coach, and, and ADR producer and director. Ladies and gentlemen, Jeff Howell. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for having me on your podcast. I'm so excited. Because we haven't seen you enough in the past month. I know. It's been such a pleasure running into you guys in New York and then in Switzerland. It's been just an amazing time, right? Yeah, I'm sure Jeff's tired of seeing us by now. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. So many good times hanging out with Jeff. Uh, again, at uh, Mary Lynn Wisner's Roadshow, well, uh, Jeff was there as, uh, you know, talking about ADR. And then we had the pleasure of spending about a week with Jeff in uh, Switzerland at the JMC Euro Retreat. And, and Jeff, we're going to talk about promos coming up in just a little bit. Uh, and we're going to hopefully get a nightmare session story from you <laughs> where it, it's a session, a recording session that couldn't have gone much worse. Uh, we've all shared them on the show here. So um, we're going to get started, though, with the topic of the day, and it's ADR. Can you tell us literally what ADR ADR stands for, and what is ADR? Well, ADR is—it's a really interesting uh, part of our business, and it's growing and growing and growing. You know, I—it's so funny you asked me what those initials stand for because I looked it up uh, years ago, and then I looked it up again right before Switzerland because <laughs> I wanted to make sure I had the answer to that. And there are several answers to that, but there's one that says automated dialogue replacement, uh, and that's the one I sort of stick with. But basically, it's the the idea of replacing dialogue that's been damaged or the context has been changed. And in terms of uh, whatever media you're you're working in. And so, for example, in the film industry, uh, they will call their actors back in to replace dialogue that may have been recorded in a polluted environment, let's say, you know, if they're doing a location shot and they have a boom mic there and they're trying to capture a bit of plane goes by, but they like the shot. The director loves the uh, the shot that they got, they just the audio was terrible. So they'll they'll make a list, a, a record list or a shot list of of the uh, cues that need to be replaced, and then the actors will be booked and they'll go into a recording studio. And you have a sort of a, a dialogue coach there. Uh, the director usually doesn't get involved in post as much because they're usually too busy. But the uh, the dialogue supervisor will will step in and direct those sessions and try to emulate the environment and the emotion that was in that scene to just capture it in a clean way so that the uh, mixers will have a cleaner track as opposed to a polluted track where you know you're you know have someone talking and there's some noise going on in the background sometimes they don't they can't change it sometimes they have to stick with it and as i mentioned the other reason is that let's say for example 
in the scene, uh, you know, the actor delivered a line in a certain way, and then the director didn't catch it, or they just were moving too quickly, or it was the last shot of the day, or whatever. And then when they go back in editorial and look at it, the way the actor delivered the line didn't fit the scene properly, or they just the director decided post the the actual uh, shoot that they felt that that line could be delivered in a different emotional way that would hopefully improve the plot or the scene itself. So anyway, there are a variety of reasons why they go in and, and have to do that. And that's been a big part of our post-production industry for many years is ADR. Now, the, the, the area I'm in specifically is the dubbing area, which is a cousin of that sort of dialogue <laughs> replacement in that we are, we are replacing all the dialogue but we're taking foreign material and we are, you know, casting and directing actors to go in and replace with the, what we call localization of the, uh, the dialogue so that it uh, is able to be in, in, enjoyed by the, uh, you know, the, the people, the folks that are watching it in their specific language. So that's the area I'm in and I love it. And that's what we're, where we're doing. And it's a growing industry. It's exciting. I've got another big project coming up next month and um, prepping that now. So it's, it's exciting. I, uh, I loved working with you in that class in Switzerland. It was just, it was just thrilling to me just to be able to see how, how you do that. Um, and I've been watching Netflix a lot since I got home, and I saw the the Empress, and that was dubbed. And I, now I'm going like, oh wow, to see if if they catch the facial expressions and all that. So it was a fun class, Jeff. Thank you. I, yeah, I love. Yeah, I'm passionate about whatever area of, of the industry I'm speaking about. And, and I, I just, you know, as you guys know, I've been doing this for a long time in various aspects of the VO industry. And I'm so glad I've landed in this one. And, and I love commercial. I was in commercial for many years. And then promo, I was in that for a long, long time. And I still dabble in all those. But I've landed over the last seven years in, in the ADR sort of dubbing area. And I just, I love it. And Bobby, as you saw in class, I mean, it's so theatrical and I love that. Mm -hmm. I love the, the idea of going in and analyzing a scene and, and, you know, we're not trying to recreate anything in terms of changing the original director's intent or the actor's intent. We're trying to copy that, but we do that in such a way that we try to make it as natural, uh, respecting the original material as possible. And, and it's, it's a challenge. It's the hardest work I've ever done, but at the end of the day, it's so incredibly gratifying. You said you got involved with it seven years ago. How, how did you get involved with ADR and dubbing? Well, you know, I had directed ADR before. And, you know, when I went out on my own after I left Worldwide Radio, I was basically, you know, just putting it out there that, hey, I'm a director. I've been casting for years. I've been directing for years. I told the universe, just bring me projects. Bring me anything. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. You know, and so I was getting some random calls from... <clears throat> Uh, various studios. I, I received this call from 20th Century Fox uh, Spotlight Pictures. They uh, had some narration they wanted me to direct, and that involved some uh, narrative component, uh, ADR component as well. And then there was a studio, uh, Wild Wind, I believe. I can't remember. There's so many in LA now. But they had called me, and they were having trouble with their lead. And for whatever reason, they weren't able to get the uh, performance from her. And so they asked me to come in. And so I did that. So I, I've been doing some ADR over the last couple of years in little pieces, bits and pieces of it. But then I created a, a really nice relationship with LA Studios, and they're owned by a big corporation in Hollywood called Photochem. 
And they, uh, one of their clients, Photochem's client is Netflix. And, you know, Netflix has their tentacles all through Hollywood at a bunch of different facilities and, and doing different things for them. And one of the salespeople at Photochem had said, Jeff, you have a lot of directing experience and we know that Netflix is growing in the dubbing area and we'd love to get a piece of that action. Are you comfortable uh, if we pitch you on behalf of LA Studios and all that, would you be willing to do it? And I said, absolutely. Meanwhile, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, that'll be interesting. I've never really directed dubbing before, but it's one of those, they say, you know, just say yes and then figure out how to do it later. And <laughs> yeah. that's exactly what happened. I just said yes, yeah. and we pitched it, and we got the first project. We recorded it here at LA Studios, and I enlisted my dearest friend, Jessica Blue, who is a, you know, a talent that I've worked with for years, and we're just dear friends, and she had helped me in many ways. And I helped her, she was help, helping me with administrating this because she's just much more organized than I am. And so we were a good team. And so I was in a, a training her also along the way as a director. And so now she's on her own directing as well. And I'm pleased that I had a hand in that and she's excellent. But, you know, we, uh, we started with the first project and Netflix was very pleased with that one. And then over the course of time, that first year, we did about three or four more here at this facility. And then what happened was uh, several of the producers at Netflix liked my work. And so they asked me, are you, are you just with Photochem or can we pitch you to other facilities? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm independent. So I started working at VSI and then I started working at Dubbing Brothers. And so between these various facilities out there, I'm very fortunate and I hope to continue being fortunate in terms of being fed projects throughout the year, whether it's films, sit, uh, episodics or animated series. Um, I've done overdubbing before, which is an interesting, um, interesting sort of style of dubbing. And so, you know, it's, it's been just such a wonderful experience, but yeah. So seven years ago, that's how I got my start was just having my relationship with LA studios and Photochem and having Netflix. It was their client and that's how I got in the door there. And it's just been a love fest ever since. Well, I'm sure that the pandemic definitely had some kind of an effect. I mean, LA or uh, Hollywood basically shut down. So how did it affect you? And another question to add to it, realistically, can voiceovers who work remotely do something like dubbing? So, yes, it's interesting. You know, uh, I was in the middle of a project for Netflix called Border Town, and it's a wonderful series, and I had such fantastic actors on it. Uh, I picked up season two. I did not do season one, so I can't say... Uh, I did the casting on it. The wonderful uh, director, uh, John Demita, did the uh, casting on the original series, but he was just so busy, so he couldn't do season two. So I stepped in and did that one. And so I was at VSI, and I had just gotten back from a trip to Istanbul, and I was, it just jumped into that project. And all of a sudden, we started getting murmurs out there about this strange virus that was floating around out there. And then, yeah. you know, over the course of about a month, all of a sudden, you know, we were noticing that. You know, a lot of the people administratively weren't weren't in the offices anymore, and so we were all kind of going. It feels very strange. We're here in this recording facility, and there are not too many people around, and we're starting to see, you know, a lot of uh, hand sanitizers around and masks around and all that. And then, then we got the word that the the state had shut everything down, and so we were all just stuck at home, and so production was shut down. And then I received an email from VSI asking if I could direct remotely. And I said, absolutely. And fortunately, I had an extra monitor 
a computer monitor at home. So I was using my laptop and a computer monitor. And so they had worked out the technology that I could be watching on my monitor the video. And then on the laptop, I had my script. And so, and then I was just patched in by Source Connect through the studio. And so the studio acted as a hub and the actors were working remotely. I was working remotely and the engineer had the real responsibility of uh, sort of making sure everything was working properly. And, you know, I have to say the unsung heroes, the engineers, they just work so hard. And, you know, and of course, dealing with everyone, these, you know, the, unfortunately, a lot of actors and, and no, no fault of their own, but they weren't, uh, their brains don't go in that engineering sort of technical areas. Yeah. And so the engineers had to really walk them through it. And, and then the producers would call the talent in advance and try to coach them through it. So the day of the session, we wouldn't be wasting a lot of time trying to connect. And the producers were doing tests with the engineers. I mean, it was really such a, a miraculous sort of process of really quickly trying to come up to speed and get the actors up to speed in terms of understanding how to work the equipment at home and to create environments in their homes that were conducive to recording. Because, you know, before COVID, I mean, there were a, a portion of the, uh, you know, actors out there that had their own recording areas and studios and things like that. But, you know, the LA a lot of talent that we were using at that time were in LA and they're just so spoiled or not spoiled, but it was just the way business was conducted that they'd go into recording studios and they wanted to go in the studios. They didn't want to have to record from home. So we found that ironically enough, the, the talent that we were using that were in LA were less equipped for the most part to record themselves. Whereas the ones that lived out of town, because they had already been so used to home recording, mm -hmm. they, they tended to grasp it easier. And so, that that's the way we did it. And the one problem I had was the lip flap issue because in dubbing, you know, we try our best to, you know, look at the cadence, the line and, and, and the lip flap and control all that. And because the technology can only do so much that there was a delay. And so I would have to depend on the engineers to make sure it lined up. And, you know, and of course everyone has their own opinion about what looks good and what doesn't look good. And so I had to kind of put my expectations aside and, and just uh, keep moving forward just to get the project done. Um, the uh, interestingly enough, the producers after COVID sort of settled down and we were back in studio and, you know, border town, had, we had finished it and delivered it. Uh, the producers did tell me that they, they couldn't believe how smoothly our production went. And I think it was because we were very fortunate that we had not only just fantastic actors on the project, but they were very professional and they uh, really took it seriously and made the home recording situation work as best as we all possibly could. So, so that worked now. Bobby, to answer your second question, you know, this COVID did propel the industry into an area where a time now where we are less concerned about where people live and we just want to work with good talent. And that is still very true. And I love working with talent no matter where they are. If they're good, they're good. Um, the only issue that we have, and I just touched upon it a second ago, is that the technology can only do so much and, and go so far. And, you know, the problem is, is that the more complicated the recording setup becomes, the more time it potentially could take to capture. And with dubbing, we have to work very quickly. And, and so there are times when uh, there have been situations, let's say, where, uh, you know, it worked if I have a lead and let's say they live in New York and I'm out here in L.A. One day it works fine. The next day, for no reason at all, the delay is just unbelievable. 
Oh, wow. And and so, you know, there are factors that could be affecting it. You know, if everyone in your household is using the internet, the Wi-Fi can slow it down. We always encourage people to avoid the uh, Wi-Fi, go directly through the Ethernet, because at least you're not having to depend on that part of it. But still, you know, if you're in a certain neighborhood with only a certain you know bandwidth is being delivered in that neighborhood through whatever service provider you have, uh, that could affect it as well. We noticed that, interestingly enough, that uh, when we are recording people and it's around, it's right after school, the, and the school's let out and the kids go home and they're all buzzing on all their screens and using a lot of uh, internet uh, bandwidth that are the quality of our recordings would shoot down uh, enough where it was noticeable at times mm. in terms of the speeds and delays and glitches and pops and things like that. And that was hugely late in the afternoon when the kids were out of school. So it's just things like that. So, you know, technology, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing that we're able to do what we can do. And I'm so thankful that we're in an age where we can do that and it's only getting better. Um, but in terms of dubbing, it's, because of the complications that can happen with the recording because of the sync issues. And for example, uh, you know, if I was recording you and you had your laptop in the booth with you because you have to see the visual and if your laptop starts, starts getting hot, then all of a sudden the fan kicks in. Well, we can't, we can't work until the fan stops. And so that's time, you know, we have to, you know, have you leave the booth and go get some ice or some peas and put it under your computer to chill <laughs> the hard drive down. So the fan will stop spinning. And I mean, it, it's just, you know, I wish everyone around the country could design their booths in such a way that that would not be an issue. And, and I wish everyone had uploaded download speeds that were just top notch and, and then it would make it a non-issue. But because of the technical, we are, to answer your question from five minutes ago, um, <laughs> you know, as I tend to do sometimes go off on tangents, but it's not that we don't want to work with people in other parts of the country, and it's not that we won't work with people, but I know that when I do want to work with someone that doesn't live in L.A., I have to have a very good reason why, and I have to present that to the producers because they know that there's a reality of the fact that if you're not in L.A., you're not going to be able to attend the session in person, obviously, and, and that there are potentially going to be some technical issues. So I guess as technology gets better, that will be less of an issue. The good mm -hmm. news is that from an emotional standpoint, in terms of just uh, as the, from a directorial standpoint, and I've spoken to other directors as well, we don't care where you live. If you're good, you're good. And if you're right for the project and your, your voice sounds like it's coming out of that mouth and, and, and you're reliable and you're on time and all the factors being the, all the things that we consider important, then, then it's not an issue at all. And um, so let's just hope technology gets better. Let's get worthy. We're talking with Jeff Howell, promo producer, voice acting coach, ADR and dubbing producer and director. And Jeff's going to favor us with a nightmare session story coming up in just a few. And he just talked about some of the nightmares that could go on with ADR and dubbing. Jeff, did you just kind of uh, encapsulate the biggest challenge with ADR and dubbing? Or is there something else that's the biggest challenge in ADR and dubbing? Well, I think technically aside, I mean, I think that the biggest challenge in dubbing, I think, is to... Uh, continue to try to make the experience of watching a dubbed uh, material, a feature or sitcom or, or episodic, um, seamless. 
And, you know, and I mentioned this in the class in Switzerland, and I continue to tell everyone, especially when I, and I, you know, of course, as you can imagine, I bristle when people go, I don't like watching dubbing. I'd rather read the subtitles. <laughs> yeah. And, and, That's my and work. I, I know. And so I then get on my soapbox and I, I explain to them the difficulties that are, that we face with dubbing and that, you know, we do the very, very best that we can. And it's not that when you watch something, it's that because someone dropped the ball. It's just because there are so many factors that go into trying to line up the dialogue and different languages obviously have different lip movements and and the context is so important. And that's why it's, I always tell people, if you are going to watch a dubbed uh, piece, uh, do not activate the subtitles too, because oftentimes the subtitled line is completely different from what the actor is saying. I've noticed and, that. Yeah. And, and the reason why is because what we do is we protect the context, but then we start rearranging words or changing the words to match the mouth opens and closes better and the speed of the line. So that the, the rule number one is that when a mouth is closed, you don't hear anything. When a mouth is open, you hear something. And, and we do try our very best. And, you know, as you can imagine, in various languages, there's some flapping that goes on, you know, that, you know, certain languages tend to be flappier than others. And so we have to fill in dialogue sometimes to to make it fit those lip movements. And so you'll have a line of dialogue that may have been four, four words in the original language, but in the uh, English language, we may have to double that. And so the line is different. We have to add a lot of extra words. So, and, and there is a term out there that we use. And, and as directors, we're told not to try to steer away from things sounding dubby. And <laughs> that is when the language is so awkward. And it's clear that what we're trying to do is, it's the balance of, well, do we not have it sound dubby and a little smoother, but yet it doesn't fit the lips or add a lot of words and it may sound a little clunky, but it looks great and the context is there and that's when it's dubby. So, you know, there's a, a balance to that. And, you know, so we have to strike that. So, you know, I think that that the biggest, I think, Kevin, the biggest challenge is that, it, you know, talent aside and technical aside, it's the actual challenge of trying to deliver a well-executed product um, and and to, to but take into consideration all those factors it it makes for an incredibly a tedious session I always tell people it's like putting a line under a microscope and analyzing it and a lot of work goes into preparing these scripts before they're loaded into the voice cue uh, software uh, you know and then when it's put in voice cue then the adapters get their hands on it and they change it as well. So a lot of work goes into it. And so I think the biggest, as, as I was saying before, the biggest challenge is trying to just make these a very uh, a watchable product that people will enjoy. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think I saw in the press release this morning for VO Atlanta that you are going to be back, right? Yes. Hey. Yeah. And, and you'll be doing ADR and promo sessions? I think so. Uh, you know, I mentioned JMC, you know, it, when I saw him in Dallas, I, I pulled him aside and I said, you know, I know I'm very well known in the promo world and I'm thrilled to be known in that area. And I directed promos for many, many, many years. And I still 
on occasion, direct promo, and I, of course, still have friends in that industry. It's, of course, ever-changing. Uh, and I said, I, I'm on board to continue uh, teaching because it hasn't really changed. I mean, it evolves a little bit in terms of technique and all that, but it is, you know, promos are promos. You're, you're not really changing it. So I, I feel like I'm still obviously qualified to teach it. But but I did tell him, I said, the ADR world is growing so much, especially uh, obviously in the dubbing area. And I said, I would love to start trying to incorporate that into these uh, sort of... Uh, events. And he agreed. So I think I'm going to be doing both, but that really is entirely up to him. Well, with promo, you know, we're just going to touch on it briefly because we have your nightmare session coming up. With with promo, we're definitely seeing more opportunities for women and diverse VO in that genre. Do you see a time soon that that's going to be evenly represented in the promo world? You know, I don't see it when it's if you're saying completely fifty-fifty female male. Uh, is that what you mean, Bobby? And and diversity too. Oh, diversity. Okay. okay. Um, interesting question. I I hope so, and I think with more content out there and more opportunities, and and for example, I just read today that Netflix has announced that it will be offering a uh, a level of service that's cheaper but it will run commercials. And that was my prediction uh, over the last couple of years. And I knew that was coming up. And then I have friends at Netflix that told me that was coming up. And I think they'll be running, they'll probably be running promos. And so that'll I'll offer more opportunities as well. Mm. Um, so so I guess I, I don't, I wish I had a crystal ball and I could answer that with a, a definitive, yes, there's going to be a point where it's 50-50. I, I don't know. I, I, I think that it's still, for the foreseeable future, um, the male voice, just its timbre alone, it presents a bit more uh, power and, and drama in it. And not that yeah, I, mean, I, love, I, I mean, I love the female <laughs> voice. I do. And I, I love using it, especially in sort of mysterious ways, true crime, uh, the area of true crime. It's wonderful using a female voice um, and news. Uh, but you know, I, I just don't know. I, I really don't know if it's ever going to be 50-50 or who knows, maybe at some point it'll be 60-40 with more diversity in females in in, in, in the uh, majority and having the white male being the 40. I have no idea. No. Uh, it just depends on how these networks are marketing themselves and the shows and the demographic they're going for. And, and also then we have to also take into consideration pop culture and what is the taste out there. Yeah. And, and so there's so many uh, mitigating factors, things that can affect casting and, and what's going on out there. So who knows, but that's, what's exciting. And that's why at least at these conventions and, or when I'm coaching privately that I can offer hope to everyone because you know, that the, the one thing that we know is that it could change at any minute. And so it's for everyone to pivot. And I, and I do believe that in voiceover as an actor for you guys, it's always good to have a number of irons in the fire. So that let's say, for example, the sensibility, let's say it shoots back and it ends up being majority male in promo. I doubt that would ever happen. But for the females out there that are pursuing promo, they could pivot and maybe uh, start focusing more on um, e-learning or, mm -hmm. or a trailer or some other area of the business where females and diversity might be uh, more going, they may be going for that. I, I say that that's not going to happen. Obviously, I think that we're, we're in an age now where I think it's going to just continue even getting more diverse, which is fantastic. A penny for your thoughts. 
Before we get to the nightmare session, one final question for you, Jeff. Um, how would, uh, or what is, two-part question, what is the uh, strongest skill set that a voice actor should bring to ADR and dubbing, and how would one attain ADR work? The strongest skill set, I think, is just being a very, very good actor, having a very good ear uh, to be able to watch a scene, listen to the original actor's performance, and obviously understanding the overall tone of the scene. And so what's happening is the I find that the better uh, sort of theatrical-minded actors are the ones that, that are able to sort of latch on to ADR or, let's say, dubbing quicker because it is just a very theatrical type of acting. And I, and I love it because you're not directed theater and, you know, TV, a little bit of TV at the university where I attended and that sort of thing. So I... I, I just love uh, playing in that sandbox with the actors and the ones that tend to have more of a theatrical background or just acting chops in general or just really good acting skills. Those are the ones that I think um, really are able to capture it better. And they're the ones that actually get repeated work because they get known as just being very good voice actors. It's interesting because when dubbing first started, in terms of this new sort of style of dubbing about eight, seven or eight years ago, that the facilities were reaching out not to the voiceover community per se, but they were going to the local theaters around town and just snatching people out of these local theater groups. And these folks, a lot of them had not ever even been in front of a microphone. They didn't have voiceover careers. And, but with just a bit of uh, becoming comfortable with dubbing and getting used to watching the scroll going across the screen uh, because they were such strong actors, they captured it beautifully. And conversely, there have been people that I've had that are stars in the voiceover business in terms of commercial and promo. But when I've placed them behind the microphone, I was actually surprised that it took them a little bit longer to really uh, capture the nuances of a theatrical performance. Um, but they got it. I was able to, as a director, that's my job to try to help coach them through it. Um, you know, and I think that some of them have realized that they have to try to step up and, and be better actors. But so that's answering that question. And in terms of Kevin, you asked about seeking out that kind of work. Mm. Um, as I've mentioned to everyone, this is a unique area right now because all the big facilities have internal casting departments. And so this is a time where it is uh, still reasonable to seek work on your own without the assistance of an agent or a manager. And that is by contacting these uh, specific facilities and sending them materials. And I always tell everyone that you will go to the front of the line if you are bilingual, mm. because there are times where I've had to have actors speak uh, several languages, including English. And even though we're dubbing in English, but there have been technical issues that we've had to um, work around and which is required uh me to hire someone bilingual in the specific language that I'm, you know, localizing at the time. So, uh, so that that helps. Uh, but as I said, I think that by submitting your materials directly to the casting sites there at the uh, at the specific dubbing uh, companies, that will get you on their list, and uh, that certainly helps. I mean, if you have an agent, that helps too, because we are going through agents, obviously, as well. 
but I do know that the casting people keep databases there. So as a director, when I'm casting, I'll, if, I'm, if I hit a block or I'm really busy in pre-production and I just don't have time to cast a lot of the smaller, the more uh, smaller role voices, I'll just go to the casting department. I'll say, okay, I need, can you submit, can you give me a list of five uh, actors who are experienced in dubbing and I need this type of voice and they'll send me a file and I'll open it up and there'll be five demos there and I'll listen to them and I'll choose one. And, uh, oh. and they'll, they'll bring them in. So, so yeah, so I think that, and I, and I think Kevin, I can predict your next question is who are these companies and how do I get to them? <laughs> um, I'd say Google's your best friend. Yeah. Um, I'd say Google them, but I, you know, the two that I mentioned VSI is big and they're, they're in LA and, um, and they may be in New York, but I know they're international. Um, and, uh, Dubby brothers as well. Uh, and then there's a company called roundabout and then, um, VSI, uh, not VSI, I just said that, uh, IDC is in, they're, they're in New York and LA. So those are the ones I've had direct contact with. Uh, there's Igloo as well. Uh, they have a great dubbing department there. And so, you know, we, uh, there, and those are just four or five of the ones that I know of. There are a bunch that I've never worked for, but there, I hear there's a lot of dubbing going on everywhere. Uh, there are dubbing facilities in Dallas and of course in New York and LA and I'm sure there are some elsewhere in the country, but those are the ones that I can specifically say that have casting divisions there. So I'd say just Google them, go online, you know, uh, find out how to reach out to them. And if you have a demo, uh, just submit something. Um, you know, obviously the more theatrical based your demo is probably the better. If you have a demo that's so processed that we can't hear your natural voice, that's not going to serve us. So I wouldn't submit an animated demo if it's all just crazy, wacky voices. Yeah. Uh, probably better to just submit your commercial demo. Um, but these dubbing companies, they would probably be fine if you just recorded uh, something on your computer, uh, just reading a couple of scenes or a couple of attitudes or something and sending that without any production underneath. And they'd be fine with that because oh, nice. for my from my point of view, I just want to hear what your voice sounds like. And I want to hear what you sound like when you're angry. I want to hear what you sound like when you're, um, you know, happy or sad and hearing nuances of your performance. That's what I would want to hear. Oh, this is all gold. Thank you so much for the information. Excellent. Absolutely. Give it a bop, bop, wow. Well, before we get wrapped up here with Jeff Howell, um, we would let, we we talk about this as voice actors a lot. Jeff, we have we have times where we get into sessions and like, oh my gosh, that could not have gone much worse. Conversely, on the other side of the glass, as a director producer, I'm sure you've had nightmare sessions with talents. Jeff Howell, would you please favor us with a nightmare session? Nightmare sessions. Well, there's several. <laughs> I mean, for the most part, you know, gosh, I've been in this business for 30 years. And, you know, I was thinking back when you sent me the email yesterday asking me that. I thought, well, you'd think I would have a huge amount. But, you know, as we all know, this is a, a such a, a great part of the business. And, and the actors are so professional most of the time that it's really few and far between the, the times when I've had situations that I would consider nightmare. But there is one that was just comical nightmare, which was I was doing a, a promo session years ago, and it was a sports session for, I believe it was Fox. And, you know, as you guys, I'm sure, you, as I know both of you studied promo with me. And, and, you know, and I always talk about speed because with promo, a lot of it is very, you know, it's very quick. And at that time, and this was probably what, 20 
20 some odd years ago. Um, but it was also a little bit more aggressive, especially in sports. So it's sort of that like coming up on Fox and it's just real choppy and, you know, punched and your, your tongue just has to wag and, and, and you have to be able to enunciate really quickly and, and, and have that testosterone in the read and all that. So, so that was the style of the sports promo back then. And so, uh, we had an actor and a known voice actor in delightful man, great voice. And he, you know, he walked in and he seemed fine. I, you know, had the engineer set him up on mic and, you know, and I, we weren't reinventing the wheel. So I didn't have to go into much detail. I just handed the script and I said, okay, well, just so you know, big surprise, we don't have a lot of time for this spot. So we're going to have to go pretty quickly. And he said, okay, got it. And so <laughs> we did a take and I could barely, you know, it was a little slushy and, and he was having a little trouble uh, getting the words out. And so I thought, well, maybe, you know, he just needed, just needed to be more familiar with the, uh, the dialogue. And so I said, you know, on the talk back, I said, okay, well, let's uh, go ahead and just try one more and we'll just clean it up a little bit. And so he said, okay, got it. And he did it again. And it just seemed to be getting worse instead of better. <laughs> and so we kept doing it over and over. And I finally looked at the engineer and I said, what is going on? I don't understand. It's not like he hasn't done this before. And so at one point I thought, I, how am I going to dance around this? Because we had to get it done. And so I said, give me a second. And so I told the engineer, I said, let me go in there and talk to him. So I walked in and I said, okay, so I said, here's the deal. You know, I love you. You know, I respect you. We've done a lot of work together. And I said, this is a spot where, you know, it's the same type of deal that you've done for before and, and all that. But I, I'm really kind of sensing there's an issue and I don't want to get into anything personal, but I just feel like there's something going on because, you know, we're just not able to get a read from you. Uh, you know, there's an enunciation issue. There's a um, speed issue. There's all that. And I, I just want to see what we can do to improve on that. Would you like a, a Red Bull? Would you like a <laughs> cup of coffee? Would you, you, do you need a break? Do you need an eight ball? Yes. Yeah, something, you know? And so he, he looked at me and he said, Oh, you know what? I guess I should have taken that muscle relaxer before I walked in. Oh, oh no. <laughs> and I looked at him and I, and I said, you did what? <laughs> and he said, well, I'm having some back issues. And so I just, I, I thought maybe to get through the session, I would just take a muscle relaxer and, and then I would be able to get through the session. And I said, you do realize the tongue is a muscle. And so if you're relaxing <laughs> your back, you're also relaxing your tongue. Your instrument. Yeah. He said, oh, I never really thought of that. You're right. Of course, and then he's like, I never really thought of that. I, I, <laughs> I said, I think what we need to do is we need to postpone the session and maybe this afternoon if you're in the neighborhood you can come back and I'll I'll explain to the network that you know we had an issue and uh, we have a little time on this and and if you don't mind I don't <laughs> want to put you in pain but maybe take Tylenol for a couple of hours <laughs> and then come in and and do it and so he we kind of had a good laugh about it and of course a couple of eye rolls and and then as soon as he walked out I called the agent I was like oh my god please tell your actors not to take muscle relaxers before they come in and they they of course were horrified and that became a, a nice big running joke for a long time about the fact that you know the actors shouldn't be uh, taking 
you know, those kind of drugs before they walk into the studio. Or CBD or anything. <laughs> yeah, you go, exactly, exactly. And then, but, you know, and I will say another side note to a different session that became a nightmare session. I had an actor who was so anxious. It was a recurring uh, account that we had. It was IVR. And lovely man, this actor I'd worked with him for years, lovely man. But the 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 dialogue that they started, uh, you know, creating and sending to us to have to capture an IVR is that phone messaging sort mm -hmm. of information when you call and you're on hold and you're having to listen to endless prompts before they pick up actually and talk to you. And anyway, but the, he would get so nervous that he started drinking Red Bulls. And I noticed that every time he walked in, he was more jittery. And at one point I literally, the engineer turned to me and said, he literally looks like he's jumping up and down when he's reading. And he was getting, it was like he was enraged. And finally I went in and I said, okay, here's the deal. I so appreciate the fact that with these sessions, you're really trying to step up your game. But I said, cut out the Red Bull. You can't use the takes. It sounds like you're insane. It sounds like you've done a line of cocaine or something before you started reading. I mean, it was, we could actually hear his, teeth chitter, you know, like chattering and so it was terrible <laughs> that's awesome and, and then another slight quick one another uh kind of sideline to that i was uh, working on this wonderful anime uh, uh audio novel series with leonard emoy and john delancey and john and i are old friends and i was his agent and his wife's agent marnie and and uh and so John had asked me to be the supervising producer, and then I ended up directing a few of these uh, classic audio novels, sci-fi audio novels, for a company they created called Alien Voices. And we ended up working together on about seven or eight of them, and then, then the company dissolved, but it was a great time. But Leonard would come in, and Leonard was so funny. I have so many Leonard stories, but he walked in and he would sit down and this was at a time when the recording studios used to have tons of candy lying around and I didn't know he had such a sweet tooth. And there was a big glass jar on the counter and it had those chocolate Hershey kisses. And he would sit there and we'd be having a kind of a read through and he'd be eating these so much so that there were foils building up on the actual <laughs> counter of all those silver foils of the Hershey kisses. And then by the time he would go in the booth to record it would sound so bad. And John turned to me at one point and said, it sounds like a waterfall in his mouth because it was all this liquid, this saliva and all this stuff still processing the chocolate and the sugar. And so finally oh. I said, to, I said to Leonard, I said, you know, I'm going to have to be your parent right now and take the <laughs> chocolate away from you. <laughs> oh, chocolate's terrible. Oh no, it's so bad. But anyway, but That's you know, great. there's some great funny old, you know, listen, the, the stories we all have along the way, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's such a great business. And for the most part, I've had so, so many wonderful experiences with actors and, and, uh, you know, so, but I've had these interesting experiences as well, which just make you laugh, you know? <laughs> oh man. ADR producer, director, promo producer, voice acting coach, Jeff Howell. Thank you so much for joining us today on the middle class video podcast. Jeff, if, if, if voice actor wanted to reach out to you for coaching, how would they reach out to you, please? I could be emailed. Uh, you can email me at my email address, jeff at jeffhowellvo.com. I also have a website, jeffhowellvo.com, which is just, you can go on, there's a Squarespace uh, link where you can put your information in and that just goes right to my email and I can, I can get back to you that way as well. So fun. Thanks, Jeff. We really appreciate having you on. Bobby, it's so great to hear your voice. And Kevin, it's always great to hear yours. Thank you so much. Thanks for being part of this today. Okay, my pleasure. You guys take care. Bye. Oh, well, the middle class VO podcast. Middle class VO.